Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Pre-Med Year, session number 544. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a great guest. We're going to talk about some test day psychology and maximizing your MCAT score and your overall studying because, hey, psychology plays a role in all of it. We're going to talk to our guest here in a minute. But before we jump in, I want to talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Did you know, talking about psychology, that it's hard to study everything and do everything and write your applications and and work on everything all at once, which is why you need a plan. Go to blueprintmcat.com today, sign up for a free account today and get started using their free study planner tool today so you know what you need to do to maximize your time and your MCAT score. Go over to blueprintmcat.com today and sign up. All right, let's go ahead and say hello to our guest today, Amanda Brem from bremmethod.com. That's B-R-E-M method.com. Amanda, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for you to be here. Uh, we have been chatting on and off. We first met each other at some conferences uh, where we we got to interact with some pre-health advisors and deans and directors of admissions and some students. And I learned all about the BREM method. Uh, your last name is BREM. And you help students with test prep, with the MCAT, uh, kind of. Uh, so I, I don't know if it's exclusively at this point, but uh, big MCAT tutor. How did you get into this world? Yeah, well, I think I got into this world the way most of us do, which is that I thought I was going to medical school. <laughs> um, this was back in 2015-16, so I'm aging myself a bit. Um, I'd been working as a personal trainer. Um, I was working with a lot of doctors at the time, helping my my clients and one of them said, oh, you'd make a great doctor, right? Which immediately made me go study for the MCAT. And as I was studying for the MCAT, I had my own kind of journeys with it. I learned that, you know, you can study all the content, you can study all the strategy and still not get the score you want um, if you haven't prepared for the testing environment. Um, And so I ended up taking my own journey, doing it for a couple of years, decided to go to a master's program. And I went to that master's program and it's pretty competitive, pretty intense, a ton of schooling. And I went to the director and I was like, is this 
this what medical school is? Like, <laughs> is this you know, going to really be the stressed. rest of my life? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I, I went in because I wanted to teach science. Um, mm. I loved teaching and I realized that personal training was great, but I was doing a lot of education about nutrition and about the body. And I realized I would love to do that full time. Yeah. And I was like, well, what better way than to be a doctor and do academic medicine? You know, the prestige, the, the higher degree, all of those things. But when I got into the master's program and realized you have to go through like a decade of schooling to get there before you get to teach others. Mm -hmm. And it's very competitive and there's a lot of stress involved and my mental health was not doing great at the time. And I went to that director and she was like, you know, Amanda, this is medical school. So if you, you know, for better or for worse, she was basically like, if you can't handle this, you're not going to handle medical school. Why are you here? And I was like, well, I really just want to teach, you know, I really just want to teach science. I want to, you know, stay involved. I love medical science. Um, but that's all I really want to do. I'm not really focused on the patient care. And she's like, well, Amanda did well in the MCAT. And there are so many people that need help with the MCAT right now. You don't need to go spend a quarter million dollars on a degree. Yeah. You can instead start teaching right now. We have some students right now for you in this program. So, <laughs> kind of, I so she started the I, business for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, and, and I also, you know, I was, I was tutoring, but I was also doing research. I was very much considering a PhD at that point. Okay. Um, and I was, you know, I, I technically still, uh, do a little research on the side. Um, and so I was, I was considering this just a side gig, essentially, where I was going to help some students, you know, teach them some stuff about science, and then eventually go back and, and go for that terminal degree. Uh, and then I realized working with students how desperately the pre-meds need support on the MCAT and how, you know, there's, there's test prep programs all over the place, but very few of them focus not just on you know, the strategy and the content, but also, hey, like, this is a hard test, and it's emotionally taxing, and it's mentally taxing, and you need to build your mental fitness and your confidence um, in yourself through this process. And as an ex-personal trainer, and a rowing coach, and, and, you know, an athletic coach, I had a lot of background with that kind of performance teaching and coaching. And so yeah. I found a little niche, and uh, that was a few years ago now, and we're doing this full time. And I uh, ever since then, not stopping anytime soon. Nice. There's yeah. uh, when when we first started talking, and I learned a little bit about the Brem method. There was a lot of uh, psychology associated mm. with your your method, right? The the Brem mm -hmm. method. And yes. I, I'm wondering, d does that wh where does that come from, right? The psychology of test taking, because I think it's an often overlooked thing, right? The mm -hmm. the mental aspect of doing well on a test, right? We, t we talk about test anxiety all the time. I think that's a separate yeah. bucket than the psychology of test taking. It, obviously there's a lot of a lot of correlation there uh, and overlap, but do you think like your athletic endeavors, right? Sports psychology is a huge thing. Do you think mm -hmm. there's, there's some um, kind of correlation with that and, and why you're, uh, maybe more, a little bit more passionate about the psychology of test taking? Yeah, yeah, I would say. And like, I'll frame this by, I always tell students, you know, there's three parts to doing well in the MCAT. There's the content, you know, without knowing the stuff, right? Without knowing your amino acids, it's very hard to take the test. Uh, there's the strategy, which is, I think, what we're going to talk a little bit about, which is, you know, how do you approach the test? How do you think about this exam? And then there's the mental fitness. And to your point, I think that gets into the testing anxiety that gets into like your self-talk. And those last two buckets overlap a lot, right? Between the psychology piece of, you know, am I mentally ready to take this exam? And then the strategy piece of how am I approaching it from like a, a psychological, almost like 
standardized way to approach the standardized test. Um, and, and you're right, I got a lot of this from my sports psychology background. I was a minor uh, in psychology and I took a lot of sports psychology classes because I was an athlete, I was a D1 athlete and found it very personally relevant to me to learn how to be more effective at performing mm-hmm. um, on race day. And that plus, I think when I was working as a personal trainer, I was working with a lot of people on their health. And what I noticed is their physical health was really deeply tied to their mental health and yeah. how they approached you know, their own athletic or just physical endeavors was a lot of emotion tied up in it, right? And a lot of beliefs about themselves tied up in it. And I realized when I transitioned to MCAT prep is that that same- Exactly kind of, the same. <laughs> yeah, emotional stickiness was yeah. tied up where it's like, oh, I'm just a bad test taker. Yeah. Or, oh, I'm just a slow reader. Yeah. Or I'm just terrible at math. And it's these identities that these students and, and all of us like really hold on to and they're, they're not true. And even if they are true, it's not helpful to think that way because if you say I'm a bad test taker, what you're really saying is I'll never be a good test taker. And it's very challenging when you have that kind of fixed mindset to switch into something that's more effective because you're not going to pay attention to the strategies or try out different things. If you believe that you'll never get better at it, you're just going to kind of bang your head against the wall. Um, and so when I started working with students, I realized that and I immediately started doing a ton of research. So I had kind of this like background in sports, but I realized that MCAT is a little different. And so I started reading a lot of books and a lot of papers on how do we prepare psychologically for test taking. Um, and there's not that much out there is what I found. There's not, there's not that much research out there, but there is a ton in sports, right? There's a lot of money in sports. There's a lot of, uh, research going into making a clutch player, right? The Steph Curry's that can hit the three at the buzzer. Yeah. And increase their shooting percentage by a half a percent and you win championships, right? It's like, that's where the money comes from. Yeah. Tons of money in this. So I've been just basically borrowing from all the sports psychology research that's out there and then kind of adapting it to the more mental performance that the MCAT provides. Um, and it's really fascinating how effective this can be because you have students, so many students who are like, I do all the studying, I get great practice exams and I get to the exam and I just bomb it. Right. And then we know, okay, well then it wasn't the content and it wasn't even the strategy really. It was how you are approaching test day. And I think that psychology of not just what are you doing in a passage, how are you answering a multiple choice question? Yeah. What are you doing on test day that a lot of students are missing? Yeah. And I and it's because it's not talked about very much. Yeah. So so let's talk about it. I, I think the yeah. most relevant, pertinent, pertinent, or maybe uh, approachable way to to talk about this is that specific student, someone who mm-hmm. has already taken the MCAT and did mm-hmm. significantly worse on their real MCAT than they did on their practice exams. Mm-hmm. even in a quote unquote real testing environment, right? They're, they're yes. timing the tests and taking the breaks and doing everything as they uh, did on their real test day. But there's a huge difference, right? Maybe they were scoring 510 to 515 mm-hmm. consistently, and then they get their score back and it's a 500. Let's, let's yes. talk about that situation. Where does that student go from there, from a, a psychological aspect? Yeah, yeah. And I get I cannot tell you how many times I have met with a student with that exact situation, yep. right? And they come to me and they're like, I thought I was doing everything right. What happened? Is it just terrible? And and the first thing I want to say is I want to validate that it's hard to perform on a specific day at a specific time, you know, 
and do really well on a test like this, right? It's it's hard to guarantee that that performance is going to end up well. You know, you see athletes all the time. They're like, this was just a bad race day or just a bad, bad day. Yeah. you know, game day. There's nothing we can do about it. Just sometimes we have off days. And it yeah. sucks when that correlates with your MCAT test day, right? Yeah. But all that being aside, let's say it was a decent test day. You're yeah. feeling good waking up. You know? Yeah, I so mean, that's is, is, is that always the first question of like, yeah, self-reflection? What happened? <laughs> what, happened? What, yeah. what do you think happened? Yeah. And they're like, well, and, and I, I, I slept an hour the night before. I'm like, well, there you go. <laughs> well, there you go, right? Or I had a student that was like, oh, you know, and they were scoring so well. And then they were like, oh, I just panicked the night before and just crammed all night because <sighs> I was so worried I forgot, you know, all this content. And I was like, well you know, that that's probably what happened. Yeah. Right. And there may have been other factors, but that was likely it. So that's always my first thing is there was there an easy, simple, like, hey, if we just don't do this next time, we'll be okay. <laughs> but often, you know, especially the students I work with, or like, have maybe heard me speak before, they'll say, No, I did the things you said, I like relaxed the night before I, you know, woke up at the right time in the morning, and I still struggled. And so then we talk about, okay, well, what was going on mentally, while you were taking this exam? What were the thoughts that you were experiencing? Um, how were you approaching questions? Was it different than what you experienced in your practice exams? Did you notice that your attention was wavering more, right? And why do you think that happened? Do you think it was due to stress or fatigue or anxiety? Um, was there a point in the exam where suddenly things felt really hard? That happens a lot, where you hit a passage and you're like, what is this? And did that derail your mental performance? Um, this exam is all mental, right? There's no physical. Well, there's a bit of physical of like sitting for seven and a half hours, but really the majority of it is what's going on in your head. And is that actually helping you get to the correct answer, right? Ultimately, the MCAT is just 230 good quality decisions. Are we making good <laughs> oh, decisions that's it? in that test? Yeah, oh, that's it, right? Well, if you think about being a doctor, it's hundreds of good decisions every day, right? Yeah. So, you know, 230 is training you for that. Um, were, were those decision-making processes going off into maybe like stress processes of I'm just going to guess or this, this is a trick or, you know, oh my God, I should have studied this. Why didn't I study this? I'm so lazy, right? Spiraling all the way through. And often one of those things is happening where, you know, they just got to a point where their mental talk, their mental dialogue was suddenly starting to hurt them instead of oh. help them. And yeah. that's really tough, right? It's, it's, it's tough to fix. It's tough to acknowledge that your own head was getting in your way of your success, right? It wasn't your knowledge. It wasn't your skills. Yeah. It was that inner voice. Uh, we call it saboteurs in the bread method. <laughs> the saboteurs are coming in and just you know, sabotaging everything that you're doing. Um, and then we spend a lot of time turning those saboteur thoughts into coaching thoughts, into helpful thoughts. Yeah, um, which takes a lot of work. And that's why I usually recommend for a retake after that experience to take some time, like take four months, take six months, take a year, if need be, to really make sure that a you recover from that experience, because it's traumatizing. Mm -hmm. And b that you really work on that internal dialogue so that when you're studying, when you're taking practice exams, you have strong coaching thoughts yeah. all the way through that you're experiencing. And, and you can train that in the way that athletes train um, for those coaching thoughts as well. My, uh, my father-in-law is a neuropsychologist and so super smart guy about how the brain works. Uh, and he explained it once to me about those saboteurs that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, not, not specifically about that, but just working memory in general, how our brains yeah. work. And, uh, he basically explained it to me that just made complete sense that 
that we have fixed working memory, right? When we're working through a passage, when we're in a discussion, when we're in an interview, whatever, we only have a certain number of buckets that we can store information temporarily. And let's say we have 10 of them, right? And so you're reading through your passage and it's a cars passage and, and you're an ESL student, immigrants to this country, uh, and you're great with English, but you have a lot of that negative self-talk and you're reading and reading and reading and, and you're reading it going, I don't know what that word, oh my God, this is so terrible. I, like that word's gonna really trip me up later on. If they ask a question about that, this is gonna be bad. I don't know what that phrase means. I've never heard that before. What is that idiom, right? And I didn't even know what idioms yeah. were until I started talking to ESL <laughs> students. They're like, your idioms are different. I'm like, what are you calling me? Um, uh, and, and so, so uh, and so, from a working memory standpoint, right? If we have 10 buckets buckets of working memory to store all of this information that we're supposed to be reading in a passage and half of them are filled up with this negative self-talk, your, your saboteurs, then you get to your <laughs> the end of the passage and you're like, what did I just what read? I just read? <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and then it just, totally. you fill up 80% of your, your buckets mm -hmm. with self-talk because you're like, damn it. Like it's just, here I go again. And it's yeah, just like, oh, 100%. And, and so when I heard that, right, and, and what you're saying of how do we how do we calm those saboteurs? How do we get rid mm -hmm. of them? I immediately think of meditation, right? Yeah. Meditation is often mistaken as complete silence of your brain. <laughs> and and the way, again, it was explained to me is like, no, like you're always going to have thoughts The meditation mm -hmm. helps you recognize that thought and then put it away, <laughs> recognize it and put it away, right? I'm a slow reader. Thank you for that thought. I'm doing just fine, right? Yeah. And then you don't fill up your bucket with it. Talk, talk about yeah. that that potential meditation overlap and if you talk about that kind of stuff too. I do and I think, I think you're right. Like I am very impressed when someone who meditates regularly says that their brain just goes quiet because I don't know about you, but that, <laughs> that has never happened to me. Yeah. Um, I've never, I don't think I've ever had a quiet brain in my life. <laughs> um, so I do, I use the word mental resets because I think some yeah. people have tried meditation and it, you know may have some negative associations with it if they feel like they can't do it, yeah. right, or something like that. But mental resets, I think, are, are something that's an effective way to visualize what I would like students to do in their brain, which is like, okay, they have a saboteur thought, you know, oh man, I should have studied this. I don't know this. Okay, cool. Question. Is that helpful right now? No. And it's then he's the same thing, like what you just said. Thank you for that thought. Not helpful right now. What is helpful? What would be a helpful thought instead? Okay. Maybe I didn't study this, but this is a critical reasoning test. I'm sure I can work with what's in front of me and at least make some good decisions about what question answers to eliminate, right? Something, something productive, right? Yeah. Um, we were in class last night. I'll tell this little story and it was great. We were in class last night. It was the end of a two and a half hour class and we were working through a passage and it was a passage I had picked because all the answer choices are correct, but only one was actually answering the question being asked. It's very classic on the MCAT. All four answer choices are correct, but only one is answering the question stem. And we were talking about that and talking about how that's a common thing on the MCAT. And one of the students wrote in the chat and was like, oh, they're so evil. They're so tricky. Why do they do this to us? And I just pause now, and we, we talk about saboteurs in the course. So I go to the student, I'm like, what does that sound like? <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a saboteur. And I was like, yes, it, maybe it's true. Maybe the test makers are out to get you. Is that helpful to think about? Is yeah. that helpful to focus on that they're out to get you? And she was like, no. And a lot of the students were like, yeah, that's how I feel too. And so we did an exercise where I asked, I was like, what would be a helpful thought 
what would be a more productive thought? And what we came to is actually treating the test maker, your test maker on your exam as someone who's on your side, but secretly, right? They have to make the test hard. It's the MCAT, but they're secretly rooting for you and they're leaving you all these little hints. Crumbs. Yeah. <laughs> they're leaving the you little passing. Reese's pieces like ET. Exactly. Like little breadcrumbs and they're like, okay, here's a little word in the question stem to help you figure out the answer. And here's a little phrase in the passage to help you out. And they're on your side. Yeah. And we realized, you know, the students really came back and said, wow, that's like such a more helpful way of approaching the mm. passage and the questions versus thinking they're out to get you, right? That hyper vigilant, oh, when's the other shoe going to drop? When's, you know, when is, the, when is the trick going to come about? Instead, it's, oh, they're trying to help me. And I just need to find that help and that kind of hint that yeah. will get me to my answer. Uh, so that's, that's a, that, for example, would be a way of replacing that negative thought with a more positive, productive thought. Okay, so Amanda, I, I hear you, but I'm a cynic. And mm. it just doesn't work. I've tried it. It doesn't work. Yep. It's all negative all the time. The voices are screaming at me. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you do with those students who, who just reject that, that kind of way of thinking and want mm -hmm. a different way to do it? Yeah. Well, first of all, maybe the bread method is not right for them. <laughs> I think that's, that would be step one. The second um, is that I want to acknowledge before we kind of get any deeper into this conversation that anxiety depression, OCD, all of these uh, conditions, all of these kind of mental health disorders are real. And that's where the negative, essentially it's for all of those, there's points at which those negative voices, those negative inner dialogues really take over to the point that I think the definition is that you can't participate in daily activities, right? So yeah, if that's so, the so issue, an organic right? thing that's going yeah. on, right? Right. Seek yeah, help. exactly. So like, you know, if it's, if it's to that level, the first thing I always recommend is, you know, to go seek treatment. Therapy is an amazing way of approaching this. I have, love therapy. I would recommend therapy for like every one of my MCAT students. Quite Me frankly, too. it's a stressful thing. Um, but especially if you're finding that the negative thoughts are taking over and mm. actively impeding your ability to be successful, that's something that you can treat. And it's not, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not an expert in this, but there are experts out there who do really great work with this. Yeah. With that being said, if you feel like, that's not me. And the negative thoughts are really bad, especially when I'm studying for the MCAT. Mm -hmm. One of the things I, I ask is I just, is, is that actually getting you to your goals, right? Mm -hmm. Are you caring about your goals more than you're caring about maintaining your internal negative voices? Yep. Because they are insidious and they are powerful and they want to stay. But are your goals more important than that, right? Is it maybe worth it to at least try a different method, kind of get out of that negative headspace? And, and try something that may be more productive for you. And if a lot of students there, they just need to be shaken up from that. Um, I think the pre-med community, as much as it can be very supportive, can also be uh, like an echo chamber for negativity sometimes, especially around the MCAT. Uh, standardized tests have their issues. They definitely are not perfect. And there's major, you know, kind of societal concerns with standardized testing. And it's, at a certain point, if you've chosen this route to take this exam, it's not helpful to fixate on that. And yeah. I think there's a lot of forums and there's a lot of online communication that just breeds negativity. And yeah. so I always recommend students to try to remove themselves from that and find a more supportive community as well. And that can help a lot. Yeah. I'll give a plug for the pre-med hangout, our Facebook group. It's super supportive. Uh, we don't super supportive. We don't let that super negativity. Pro MCAT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm pro MCAT, but hey, yeah, uh, yeah. The but it, it's there, right? It's it's the devil mm -hmm. that we have to work with right now. And yes. as you mentioned, right, it is a standardized test, and there are going to be a lot more in that student's uh, future. Mm -hmm. So, yes. 
that that's just the way of the world as it is right now. And we have to work within the system while we also try to destroy the system. <laughs> exactly. The way it's, it is. It's, it's the way it is. And I think um, there are gifts mm -hmm. to studying for the MCAT, even, even though, the, you know, I'm, my whole career is the MCAT and there are major issues with it. I will yep. not deny those. Yep. And there are gifts to a student getting an opportunity to work on something really hard and really challenging yep. where there, there aren't lives on the line. Right. Yeah. We don't want those negative voices popping up in the ER. You know, oh, I can't do this. I should have studied harder yeah. when there's a life on the line. And I think getting to work on this in a more personal setting can be a gift for a lot of students. Yeah. I, I've often talked about uh, just perception, right? Uh, how we mm. perceive things and the um, how we interpret them. Uh, is is really the name of the game, right? I think uh, from a physiological standpoint, right? Fear and uh, anxiety and excitement are, are very similar from a, uh, a physiological standpoint. It's just how you interpret those sensations, mm -hmm. right? Your, your increased heart rate and your palms are getting sweaty. Um, is, it, is it anxiety or is it excitement? Yes. It's, it's how you interpret students, it. That's Schechter Singer uh, theory <laughs> of emotion there, right? Our cognitive appraisal. What yeah. am I feeling in my body right yeah. now? Yeah, absolutely. And so same, same thing. I, I've talked a little bit um, about you don't, you don't have to take the MCAT. You get to take it, right? And, and mm. potentially uh, just a small little mindset shift. Uh, obviously, again, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the MCAT and, and what it stands for and what it does. Um, but you are, are in a society where you you are privileged enough theoretically to to take it um to have the safety and security in whatever your situation is compared to other people around the world and it 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 may be a little bit tone deaf with with a lot of people in in the in our country because we we do have a lot of suffering in our in our country but it's potentially a mindset shift that may help some students yeah no and and i agree with you i mean i think it's hard cuz there, a lot of our students are incredibly empathic to the world around them, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's hard to study for the MCAT, especially during COVID. This happened a lot with my students where it was like, why am I studying for this test when yep. so much else is going on in yep. the world, right? And I was like, you're right. To be honest, it is just a test. Yep. It is just a test that you're taking that you don't have to take if you don't want to, right? Um, and at the same time, like anything else that you have that's a challenge going on in your life, it's a growth opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why I always encourage my students to pick a goal. We, one of the very first things I do with all my students is, what is the goal you have for your MCAT prep that has nothing to do with the MCAT, right? What is a goal about yourself, about who you are as a learner or as a future leader in our community that you can develop during this time that has nothing to do with your MCAT score? So even if you do decide not to take the MCAT and you're like, actually medical school is not right for me, like I did, you can still get benefit from this time. You're not wasting your time if you get a bad score, right? You're not wasting your time if you decide to pursue another career because you've had an opportunity to grow and develop this goal in a way that I, that I think could be really powerful to think about. So that's yeah. something I always encourage students to do is, sure, the test is important for your goals of medical school, but there are so many learning opportunities outside of that uh, that you can work on. Yeah. So let's let's talk about this student who is just embarking on their MCAT journey. Mm -hmm. How can they set themselves up for success so that they're not that student that consistently was getting 515s and then on on the real test day gets a 500? What what is 
kind of a, a couple of steps that they can start taking as they're beginning their MCAT prep journey? Yeah, the first thing I always recommend to my my newbies, my new MCAT students, is to be very realistic with your timeline. Um, most students need to study for this exam for a minimum of three months, mm -hmm. right? Up to six months, up to a year, up to a year and a half, depending on your timeline. I always recommend a minimum of 300 hours as like a baseline goal. And I think a lot of students that dive into this will make their initial timeline too aggressive or their initial goal too aggressive and then get really demotivated when it's not going well. So first step is to be almost like gentle with your goals, right? Whereas if you think you can do it in four months, maybe take six months. If you think you could do it in six months, maybe take eight months um, and give yourself plenty of time to develop your study schedule, your learning style, um, your own test day game plan, giving yourself that freedom to really learn and develop and get curious with the process instead of feeling like I have to be at this point by this time or else my whole plan is over, um, I think is really important. So I think the first step I always say is be really generous with your timeline. Make sure that you're spending a good chunk of your first month uh, looking at your study schedule and making sure it's sustainable over that long term. And then constant assessments, check-ins. Am I, am I moving in the direction I wanted to do I need to make adjustments? Do I need to make changes um, as you go along the way? Yeah. Do you recommend any sort of apps, right? We, we talked about meditation. Mm -hmm. You talk about, uh, what, what did you say? Resetting? like Mental uh, resets. Me mental yes. resets. Do you recommend like someone is going to sit down and create a study schedule mm -hmm. for the MCAT? And then do you also recommend potentially like, okay, go on your phone, download this app, and work mm -hmm. that into your schedule as well, right? If your study says, schedule says you're going to study bio, biochem, this number of pages in this specific book, also do uh, this this thing in this app. Yeah, so I, I don't have a particular app. Uh, I think there's a lot of great ones out there. So it's more kind of find your own that you vibe with. Obviously, Calm is really great. Uh, Headspace is really great. Both of those, uh, I think, are the most popular meditation apps that are lovely. I like the Pomodoro method, uh, where you have small chunks of studying with little breaks. Uh, so there's plenty of apps out there that allow you to, to do Pomodoro timers. And then during your breaks, you can kind of do your mental resets on your own. Um, so any kind of timing app to, check, to force yourself to do some check-ins can be really powerful. I always tell students to include at the end of a study block, uh, usually maybe a two or three hour study block or at the end of the day, to book 20 minutes to a half an hour to write out a reflection, like kind of like a journal entry. Yeah. What went well? What was a challenge? You know, what was a win for the day? Uh, and what do you want to set as a goal for the next day? Just taking that time to say, wow, I did all this studying can feel really motivating. If you just roll right into the next day, it can feel like I'm not making any progress. So just taking time at the end of every day or at the end of every study session to say, what did I just do? And how did it go? And let's be accurate with how it went. Uh, can be huge for for that mental fitness and realizing that we are making progress. We talk about it here all the time about celebrating small wins, right? Yes. And I think too many students have this mentality that there is no success until they are an attending physician. Right? Mm -hmm. All of the work to do well in their undergraduate classes, post-bac classes, MCAT prep, all of the work that they're doing to 
successfully balance all of their schoolwork and test prep with their extracurricular activities and family life and uh, and spousal support or whatever else they're doing. None of that matters. Right? It's just, yeah. I'm not an attending yet, therefore I'm not successful. Talk about, um, again, going back to that, the psychological aspect of thinking about each of those daily little wins. Yeah, I think, I think this is not just a pre health pre-med problem. I think this is a societal problem that we are very achievement focused, mm -hmm. especially in America where we're focused on the end goal only and everything up until the end goal doesn't matter. Whereas really, if you've ever watched a movie with a montage scene or anything like that, like a big part is the process and is those like t six times you fall down when trying to jump for the rope and then you get it on the seventh time. Like that's, that is the work and is the win right? It's, it's not grabbing the ropes. It's that you got up six times after mm -hmm. you fell. And so I think that's one of the things that I think is really important to have a community for and to have like, there's accountability partners for making sure you're studying, but then there's wins partners where you get to celebrate your wins with each other. Um, I have, I'm bad about this. I think we're all bad about this, about celebrating our wins. So I have a little group chat with a couple friends and we literally once a week just put in a win of the week is what we call it. And we just put in something that we can celebrate that feels good. And I really encourage my students to develop a little community where they talk about the things that went well. We talk about the things that went badly all the time, right? We're so skewed towards what needs to be fixed that we just need to balance it out. It's not that we're, you know, it's not toxic positivity if we're trying to just equal it out to be more accurate. Um, and I think a lot of students are like, well, I got to focus on what's bad because how will I fix it? Yeah. Whereas psychologically, a lot of students are more motivated knowing that they've achieved something, right? So the very first thing we do at the beginning of most of my classes is what was your win? What was your win of the last week? What was the win since the last class? And just taking a second to like, well, I guess I did learn about Mendelian genetics that I was scared of before. And now I know how to do Punnett squares. Like that's pretty cool. You know, those things. And the last piece with that, I would say is to remember that as a student, a pre-health student, I hope that you love learning. I hope that you love science. If you don't, I would maybe consider a different career because you're going to be doing a lot of learning and a lot of science yep. for your life. So try to bring that excitement and curiosity. Like, look at what I just learned. Mm -hmm. Look at what I just like discovered about science or understood for the first time about science. And that can be so reinvigorating. And I think a lot of our curiosity spark kind of disappears under the weight of pressure mm -hmm. and the winds can help like fan the flames just a bit. Yeah. Our whole discussion, right? You're you're basically not basically. You're an MCAT tutor. You mm -hmm. help people understand that our whole discussion had nothing to do with the MCAT, right? It's all about mental kind of awareness of your psychological being and how you're responding to this crazy world that we live in, test wise. I, I'm assuming everything that we talked about is also applicable to all the tests and classes and quizzes that students are taking day in and day out in their regular college classes. Absolutely. And I think the additional piece with your college classes is that you have a lot of support, right? You have professors, you have TAs, you have usually, hopefully, a really nice advising team or career center. And I think one of the other things to include is when you know things aren't going well, or those negative voices are getting really loud, or you're not sure how to navigate something effectively. You don't know what you don't know, right? You're in organic chemistry. And you're like, okay, I'm not doing well. I recognize that and I don't know where to go next. Um, it can be so helpful to ask for help and to reach out and advocate for yourself as a learner and say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. And instead of letting myself fail, 
I'm going to reach out to others to help me. And I think one of the benefits of being in, an, in a school and in an institution is that you do have those people and reaching out to them can really help psychologically as well. Yeah. You're going to be speaking at MAPTCON about a lot of these same topics. Talk about um, for, for students that will hopefully be seeing us in Baltimore, October 6th through 8th. What can someone expect sitting in on your session? Yes. So I'm going to be focusing on all test takers for pre-health. So I do teach seminars about, you know, GRE and clax these things, because as we talked about today, the mental fitness side and the strategy side applies to really any kind of test taking or performance that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So we're going to, in our talk, we're going to go through exercises about retraining your saboteurs into coaches. We're going to talk about how to do a stepwise approach to multiple choice questions to make it feel more doable regardless of the subject. And we're going to talk a lot about how to build support systems and physical health to help support your mental health. So we're going to talk about kind of building your life around really reinforcing positive habits, both mentally and physically. So it should be a lot of fun. It should be pretty interactive. We'll get to kind of get vulnerable with each other. Um, and I'm really stoked to meet the students that come. Nice. Where can, where can students go find more information about you and what you do? Yeah, so uh, www.bremmethod.com is my website. You'll have all my kind of sources and resources there. Um, I also have a YouTube channel that I am trying to be more consistent at posting on. Uh, that is just Brem Method on YouTube. And I do have an Instagram as well. Again, Brem Method, uh, at Brem Method, and all of those things you can reach me at. All right, so there you have it again. Amanda Brem from bremmethod.com. That's B-R-E-M method. Hopefully this was a helpful kind of thought process on the, I don't know, psychology behind the MCAT, right? Your, your test day and maximizing your score. Hopefully this will give you some motivation, encouragement, and some tools to make sure that you are entering your test day and all of your tests, whether it's MCAT or your undergraduate tests or your med school tests in the future, entering it with the best mindset and, and just the best everything all at once. Go check out Amanda over at bremmethod.com. And don't forget to check out blueprintmcat.com for that amazing study planner tool today. This is MedEd Media.